Dialed by Science CEOs is hosted by me, Megan Martis. And me, Io Aikby. We are young CEOs and founders of ventures in the clothing industry. I am the founder of Hangio, a premium clothing care company. And I'm the founder of Clovo, a natural undergarment company. With our shared backgrounds in science and engineering, we take a unique lens to talk about sustainability, representation, and innovation. To do this, we bring on incredible change makers in the clothing industry to grow awareness and positive change. Today, our change maker is Professor Singh, who is an assistant professor of environmental studies and physics at Colgate University. She has a bachelor's degree in environmental engineering and earth and environmental science from UC Irvine, a master's in environmental engineering and science from Stanford University, and a PhD in environmental engineering from UC Irvine. She is an expert on plastic and plasticizers in water and rural water quality. Today, she'll be talking about the impact that personal care products have on the environment and the controversy surrounding Think's underwear. So welcome, Professor Singh. How are you doing today? I am fine. Today is a great day here in Hamilton, New York. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, to start off, we'd love to hear more about your academic journey. So, um, so when I was an undergrad, you were probably once um, undergrads, and um, I was thinking about what I want to major in. And so I went to a state school, and of course, the state schools want you to kind of choose a major right away. And then you feel like you're like, your life <laughs> is heights right now. And I always wanted to do something with the environment. And so I decided to like um, narrow down into, you know, either environmental engineering or environmental science. And the reason why I chose environmental engineering, I graduated with an environmental engin engineering degree in PhD. But the reason why I started out as an environmental engineering degree uh, major was because I, I wanted to do something, not just study something, but actually to implement change and solutions to the environment. Um, and I feel like engineering does that. Um, but spoiler alert, <laughs> when I graduated, I was double majoring in both. So eventually I got degrees from both. Um, then, yeah. you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just said that's, that's, that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, thank you. And so, so then how did I begin to study in for my PhD? Um, this also had to do with my undergraduate experience, and um, I hounded one of my first uh, research mentors, <laughs> Professor Eric Saltzman, who did not work on water issues, and I really wanted to work on water issues um, because I learned during my first year of undergrad that, like, we... Western states in general uh, use so much water from the Colorado River. Um, when the water enters into the Gulf of California next to Baja California, the water is so muddy because there's so little volume left. The water is so muddy that the once thriving fishing industry was 
you know, devastated and just collapsed. And so, of course, there's no water for the fish. There's no water for fishing industry. And the injustice kind of made me want to pursue water issues. And so, and also this is like not just specific to one region. There are multiple different examples in the world that's similar to this. And so um, I hounded down my, uh, my professor and he was very nice and he like offered me a research opportunity in his lab. And from there, I found out I really liked doing research and I decided to like pursue research opportunities beyond my undergrad and then eventually pursued a PhD in environmental engineering. That's incredible. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. And I don't know if you were aware, but Professor saying I actually did research with her for about three years at Colgate, and she really inspired me to also become really interested in water systems and the effects that we have on them. Wow, that's so impressive. <laughs> I love how your your journey has kind of been something that you've walked into, like you've found areas that you care about and seen injustice and you were persistent in finding ways to make that more uh, a more of a reality of your work and so really admire that and would love to dig in more into your research and can you provide us a little bit of a summary of your research and interesting findings that you found over the past years specifically in the personal care and personal product space yeah um, of course. So, um, so, um, so of course, like there are many things that we're currently doing in the lab. Um, currently, I'm pursuing like microplastics, how they interact with uh, personal care products, and um, with a bunch of you know co students, and our uh, finding showed that personal care products in water can attach themselves to plastic, either big or small. <laughs> it, just, uh, it doesn't matter the size, but they will travel with the plastic to wherever the plastic can go. And so that's something that's really concerning because that means they can accumulate more and more of the personal care products and then fish or worms or, you know, birds they may ingest these things and then they will get a higher dose of the personal care products um, in their body and a lot of times um, this is kind of into another another of the past studies i i did um, with my colleagues um, a lot of times these chemicals personal care products they're not derived from natural sources they're coming from petroleum products and um, in 2000 I guess um, yeah, when I was a graduate student um, so when I was in in grad school we studied like how uh, wastewater sludge um, uh, how uh, the we, we use the carbon dating to uh, study the wastewater's uh, age. <laughs> so we carbon dated sludge in wastewater. And so we found out that we use so much of these petroleum derived products that we actually made our sludge older, meaning that when we test these sludge, it, it seemed like it's coming from decades ago. <laughs> and it's just, wow. um, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're just older. <laughs> That's very scary. That's, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and also it has many implications, right? So um, if we use petroleum products, they eventually will may be um, emitted as carbon dioxide. And when they are emitted as carbon dioxide, um, it's like when we take things from the ground, take carbon from the ground and then release it into the air. So we're, um, this will have some implications with how we account for carbon dioxide emissions, right? Um, and so this is kind of, uh, kind of interesting, a, a little side, <laughs> side note um, about um, the implications of this study. Wow, that is, that is scary. <laughs> decades, <laughs> you got me at the decades. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, there's also another, you know, pretty interesting topic, which um, really Megan has been kind of educating me on and sharing more about and um, wanted to hand the baton off to Megan, kind of talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I remember you had sent me an email the other day about how your lab work is now expanding into things underwear since you have like a personal connection to that brand. And I would love to hear more about what kind of um, like research you've done with that so far and also just explaining what is going on with things right now. So um, this is a study that I would like to like start um, and I've been just collecting like information about how um, how uh, clothing is uh, kind of clothing additives, I would say clothing additives are uh, find their way into, you know, the, our, our daily <laughs> um, wardrobe. So um, I, you know, as Megan mentioned, I, I, this piqued my interest because I use uh, Think's underwear and um, that was why it caught my attention the first and also because I am um, I have studied um, something called the PFAS PFAS um, in the past in 2008 when I was a master's student and in 2012 to 2015 when I was a postdoc at university the University of California Los Angeles as a postdoc so first I was um looking at how those things are connected with each other. And I'm like really interested in like how they, how those two things like seemingly uh, not connected to each other came together. Um, so so the, uh, the report was um, from last year. Um, first, um, I want to explain what PFASs are. And then I'll explain what things underwear is. So um, PFAS, P-F-A-S, um, stands for poly or perfluoroalkyl substances. And there are a group of thousands of chemicals um, that are commonly referred to as forever chemicals. They're called forever chemicals because um, they are notoriously hard to degrade naturally in the environment. Um, there is a study that showed that there is a, a, a bacteria that can degrade it um, naturally, but that is still not 
fast enough to degrade all the PFASs around in the world. So now, because they're really hard to degrade, um, they can be found already in human blood. Probably all of us have a little have a little bit in our blood or in our tissue. Um, for like carnivores, um, in carnivore animals, um, they can have a lot higher um, PFAS concentration in their tissues and in their blood just due to the bioaccumulation of this chemical, uh, this group of chemicals. And um, we have been using them for uh, probably 50 years or more. And because of this, we, um, and because they're so widely used, they've been used in firefighting phones, in nonstick cookware, in upholstery, just anything that prevents like um, things sticking or some sort of um, you know resistance to dirt. Um, because of this, um, they've been widely used, and these chemicals are really really hard to degrade, and therefore they are everywhere right now. So there are PFASs. Um, so now the things underwear. The things underwear is one of the most um, like popular brand for something called the menstrual underwear. So menstrual underwear is so that you, uh, when you wear the, these kinds of underwear, you don't need to uh, use uh, single use menstrual products like pads and tampons. So these are really to help us to be sustainable and green in our daily practices for women, especially, right? So um, what happened was that um, uh, there's a, uh, a journalist, uh, Jesse and Choi, um, last year in January, 2020, who kind of was kind of interested in what's in like her underwear. She was a Thinks user. And so she sent a sample to uh, Professor Graham Peasley um, at the universe, uh, Notre Dame University. And they found that there were a, a very high level of flooring in the underwear. And so much so that it could only came, it could have only come from uh, chemicals that have a lot of fluorines on it. And uh, one thing about PFASs is their long chains of carbon with a lot of fluorines on the carbon. And the reason why they are not degradable is because the carbon and the flooring have very, very strong bonds. <laughs> and so they are really, really hard to degrade. Um, so instead of looking at thousands of chemicals, they're looking for flooring. If there are flooring, there's an indication that this chemical exists. So that's why they were looking for flooring in the underwear. They found a lot of a really high concentration of fluorine. And that's how they deduce that there must be PFASs on the underwear. And um, of course, as a scientist, when I first saw this, I was like, this is one data point, right? Like one person sending one pair of 
you know, not one pair, one set of samples to, you know, scientists over there to look at the look at the concentration and I was like okay so there's one data point and then I went on to the things website and um, the things underwears are all certified by this certification um, uh, standard called OCO OCOTEX O-E-K-O-T-E-X so um, they look they actually look for on clothing um, for PFASs, but only 15 of the most common PFASs. So we have thousands of PFASs, and then they're looking for 15 of them, right? So why is this a problem? Um, so in the beginning, when PFAS uh, were manufactured, there are a lot of PFAS that are made with long, really long chains of like carbon and a lot of fluorines on them. And since we know that they are really hard to degrade over time, um, the companies have been using shorter and shorter chains of um, carbons and uh, less uh, fluorinated, I mean, you know, less uh, fluorine attached to the carbons. And so uh, they're e more easily <laughs> degraded, but they're not, they're, they're still going to cause a problem when, you know, when the carbon and fluorine bond eventually will reach a point that it might not be degradable. So, so, um, so that's why we have a lot more like chemicals now. Um, and perhaps uh, Ocotex is only looking for 15, but there are perhaps more uh, PFAS is on the underwear. And so now there is a new study in the last month, May 2020, uh, sorry, in the last month, 2021, <laughs> I'm still in last year. So in May 2021, last month, um, there is another independent study by a report by some, uh, a blog called Mama Vation. Mama Vation is a a, a, um, I guess a blog, um, now it's a, a group of people who are looking for chemicals in their daily life. And they were, they were looking at all sorts of like menstrual underwear. And they found that 65% of them contain a really high concentration of fluorine. That means they were putting in these chemicals in the things underwear or uh, things like underwear, like menstrual underwear, um, because they, I, I would guess that, you know, these chemicals help uh, repel things, so it's it would be easier to wash, um, and also, uh, you know, they, they may uh, help the non, non staining part of the underwear, and so, um, yeah, so that. The implication could be health, right? So over the years, um, because so many people have been exposed and now there are many taps, um, uh, wells, um, drinking water wells being contaminated with PFAS. Um, we're really not, we're, we're actually not sure what, you know, health 
impacts we have, but we can anecdotally know what health impacts uh, have had <laughs> um, on human health in the past. Um, so we can see that there might be some cancer that may be uh, correlated with the exposure to PFAS. And we also could see that some people with thyroid issues um, uh, could could be ex uh, could have been exposed to PFAS in the past, and um, it also kind of inter interferes with um, the estrogen system, um, so that there might be a little bit of like fertility issues and um, and uh, like uh, puberty uh, early. Um, puberty issues in women as well. And so what this really means is that like I, I so after tracking this story and just looking at different things is that um, okay so so now we know that these chemicals exist on these uh, these uh, clothing, right? So what does that mean for us? So first of all, like you know, certifications even though they're for like you know standards and how um, OTEC is looking to raise the standards in clothing and you know be more sustainable but uh, healthy and sustainable but it's not helping um, it's it it, uh, it only looks at a certain range of chemicals nobody will look into thousands of individual chemicals, right? PFAS is a group of thousands of chemicals. And so um, that's one of the things like uh, what certification really means, right? Like uh, you have many uh, clothing labels with different certifications. And so um, this is just something that we, we have to think about what, you know, we trust certain products because of certification, but do this, these certification really mean like <laughs> like chemical free for example um so that's one of the issues another issues is that and another issue is that like what happens afterwards like we're exposed to pfas um using these underwear right and um not only that like let's say you know the the health risk is minimal let's say like if these chemicals go into the wastewater, um, the wastewater treatment, um, isolate water and wastewater. So um, wastewater doesn't really treat these chemical, wastewater treatment doesn't really treat these chemicals. And when the water is released into the environment, um, the environment is gonna have these chemicals. <laughs> so that's just another layer of you know, what you use is eventually going to end up to where it ends up. And we have to think about uh, what we do to the environment just by examining the things that we use every day. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so the, now there's a lawsuit because of this uh, uh, in Los Angeles, and um, they are currently moving forward um, as of a uh, a week ago, and uh, it's a class action lawsuit. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is just terrifying, especially since like things underwear is so tight on your body and absolutely scary. So, I'm I'm guessing you've stopped wearing it since learning about this. 
<laughs> I, I stopped wearing it. <laughs> um, there is, uh, there, of course, there are, uh, if you were to look into it, there, um, there are underwear, there are menstrual underwears that do not have any flooring at all. So you can, you can have alternatives. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's great to hear because, yeah. So it's very curious as to why some of them have them and why some of them don't. Do you notice any differences between the two that you've worn? So I think the um, the ones, for for example, uh, things have different layers and it's just one piece of underwear. Um, and I, uh, before I started using things, I was using reusable pads, like, um, uh, clo uh, cloth based and that that was just cotton and just like layers cotton it's like um I don't if you don't mind me saying this it's kind of like wearing a diaper <laughs> kind of in a way uh, so um so um there are alternatives to this of course you can use like the menstrual cups the um there are uh, again the reusable cotton ones um and then there's also um, a brand of underwear that sells the underwear, but also gives you the option to insert um, another uh, layer to help protect, um, um, to help with the menstruation part. So that's something that is um, also an option. Uh, I think that because Thinks is trying to um, simplify the underwear, in all in one underwear so that that might have uh, be the case but i'm i am not sure about the, the other 65 percent of underwear why they added in there <laughs> yeah i mean it's such a it's like a, such a big thing too because you also mentioned the implications that that could have beyond just the underwear beyond just like the consumer it also the environment and to the water system and so um yeah thank you for educating on us on that because it's, it's it's so crazy to know that that's happening in underwear it's something that people wear um every day and so yeah that's that's a important thing to mention i think a really cool thing that i've seen in my journey i, I think maybe megan as well is um representation and that being a big driver into us feeling and believing that we can do what we do. I know for me, it started in high school. I saw a woman who she was owning a company. She was, she looked like me and I was like, oh, wow. Like, because she did it, I can do it too. And I think um, we've already, we've already seen just how incredible you are and the amazing research that you've done. And it's very, um, it's very inspiring and very much admire you a lot. And so, I'd love for you to talk about um, your your how you view like being a woman in STEM and your experience in that and yeah just that whole kind of world. Let us let us know about that uh, and why yes. representation is important too. <laughs> yes. So I um, so being a woman in STEM when I was growing up, I. Um, the same as you, I was looking, I was, I, and actually all my, like all the people that I 
saw as role models, they were all men. And um, my professors were men, uh, my um, research advisors were men. And um, so when I was getting into research, I didn't know that like being a woman is like in STEM was so powerful. Like I didn't understand it until later, possibly in grad school. I see that there, there are gender dynamics. And of course, like I'm a um, woman of color. And so I, I didn't know how to deal with issues like because I didn't have men like female mentors um, alerting me to issues that might have happened, you know? <laughs> right. And so to me, it was um, kind of hard. I had to search for answers like, and I have to deal with it on my own. And um, because of that, it took a lot of energy and took a lot of emotional toll, <laughs> um, especially becoming a professor and like noting that there are also um, differences in different fields. For example, I was in the engineering field, environmental engineering field, where like, you know, 40% of environmental engineering is women, right? But then coming into um, a department such as physics, um, there's not, <laughs> not that much women. And I can see how that, like how conversations change and how like there's more, more like ongoing dialogues about, you know, whether we should, you know, think about diversity issues rather than like, oh, this is a fact. <laughs> so um, because of this, um, I, if I were to, uh, you know, advise somebody who's a, um, aspiring uh, STEM um, female, I would say that, you know, first um, look for the people you, uh, look for the people who are successful and then don't make that, don't make one person's uh, advice and suggestion be the only voice in your head. Um, that's something that I really stress on is that, you know, some people will give you one set of advice but if you look around, you can get uh, many sets of advices and then you can um, think about which one actually can, you know, uh, you can pull them as well. So yeah, you have different sets of experiences giving you a lot more to think about. Um, so, so that's something that I would like to tell young students. Um, they don't necessarily have to be somebody who looks like you, but you can uh, you can uh, uh, ask for different ranges of experiences um, using the resources and the people that you know. <laughs> so um, also books are really helpful. So when I didn't have anybody <laughs> to tell me what to do, I just went on Amazon and bought books. <laughs> and <laughs> I love that. <laughs> just, just like that. And the reason I was able to do that was because I realized that there's something that I am missing, right? <laughs> yeah. But what if people just don't know that they're missing that, right? Yeah. So 
so conversation is so important, like getting STEM students to understand diversity and um, inclusion is so important in their undergraduate years, right? Mm -hmm. To help them talk about diversity and inclusion. Like, I didn't have any vocabulary <laughs> when I was, when I graduated from, from uh, from PhD, I didn't know how to talk about diversity and inclusion in my classroom. I was yeah. always told that science is not uh, biased, and uh, but it is, <laughs> but it is, um, <laughs> because the people who are in you know who were established are are people who did not look like me, and so the narratives were framed by a different set of people with different set of experiences and therefore right. it is biased right. <laughs> um, in my point of view so so um i i would say to increase the um our our understanding of diversity and inclusion um even starting from like introductory stem classes are very important <laughs> yeah yeah, wow. It resonated with a lot of what you said. And I think that's so cool that you got books. <laughs> it's like, there's no excuses. Like you can, you can go to your library, you can go to Amazon and get a book and um, really like bridge that gap, you know, especially if there's like certain things you can't do within your control. Um, and I, I totally, to my own like personal experience, I remember my, for my, sec my sophomore year in my engineering department, being one of the only girls in the class and I was like complete kind of shock and I was like whoa what are there any girls in here like <laughs> and uh thankfully it got better over time like my senior year there was like five and I was like whoa we are we are out here making progress um but yeah I think I think that's important that education piece and like having vocabulary to talk about it and also empathy too from the other side to understand um, our our own experience and how unique it is and how it's filtered by like our position in the world. Um, and so I love that. I love your fearlessness in just moving forward, even despite all of that and getting to a place where you are now. It's like so incredible. Um, so yeah, it's great. Megan? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with everything that you guys are saying. And I think I was very lucky to have Professor Sang um, along my college journey. And I know that she was definitely a, like a big voice in the department for diversity and inclusion and still is today. So I think that it's great that you really stuck up for different people in the department, for sure. Um, and then to kind of sum up our talk, we usually ask people one question at the end just to see what everyone's response is. And you can take this uh, in regards to any experiences that you've had in the past. Uh, so the question is, what kind of impact do you wanna make in the future and why? So, um, so I, I, I thought about, you know, what to say. <laughs> and there are like two things I want to do, but, um, um, but I, I'm just gonna, you know, focus on one thing. Um, so because I started out thinking about, you know, how Western states thirst for water um, devastated and impacted the livelihood of the people in another country. Um, 
because I started out with that. So I, I'd like to um, just continue educating the <laughs> next generation like you um, about sustainability and environmental justice. Um, and in the, you know, whether you pursue science or not, but just, you know, think about things from the beginning to the end, <laughs> how, how something can have an impact when it's conceived and its journey before when it's uh, disposed. So it's, it's something that I like to, I like to continue educating myself and others about, and I like to make it my impact that way. <laughs> Wow, so coming full circle. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So like for your for your research, how would that like how would that work? Would you want to do more research in that space or would you just want to like kind of branch out more into the education space? Um, for me, I like to just um, uh, you know, I, I would never say no to any opportunity, but one of the th this is the other thing I sort of <laughs> didn't want to uh, kind of uh, talk about, but I, I sort of oh, am thinking about, <laughs> I'm thinking about, so um, you know how science is very, this is coming to the diversity inclusion issue, like how science is very, if you read a textbook in, in physics, it would start out from ancient Greek and, and then all the way to like how Europe, evolved so it's very european it's like a history in europe right so because of this i am thinking about how to like an index education also to um, expand voices everybody is curious in all cultures right um it's not a privilege to be curious um but it is um it, it don't um the textbooks are not uh, reflecting that <laughs> um so i i'd like to um here my my thought is to kind of collect stories about um, science and how curiosity in other cultures um inform their way of life and then hopefully like uh, you know eventually create an archive where people can just use like you know they want to find resources they can just use <laughs> um without having to do the work you know like oh there's an archive that has these already you know how uh, how far is the earth from the sun from the aztecs view instead of the you know um um you know ancient romans view or something like that <laughs> so Wow, that sounds cool. Professor Nang, you have to do it. <laughs> you have to do it now. We're gonna bring you back and we're gonna ask for a follow-up. <laughs> that sounds like the cool that sounds like the coolest project ever. Like having different perspectives on something like we all share and it all affects us, I think is so cool. Um so yeah, kind of wanna from there, I want to segue into our takeaways. Um for me, I took away so much from you, Professor Sang, but I think the biggest thing for me that I took away is to be fearless despite anything in my in my like journey. Cause it was really great to hear how even though when you moved to the, the physics department and you were the only woman, you still found ways and got creative to navigate that and to 
get what you need and then eventually just like keep going and like continue with your work and your research. Um, I think the second piece too that, that you said was like filter your advice, um, which I think is super valuable just because you hear one piece of one data point doesn't mean you need to run with it. Um, get, get advice and then figure out what works best and aligns with you. So those are my biggest takeaways. Yeah, and then I think for me, I think that just like the idea around how these underwear kind of almost randomly got tested. Like it was just by chance that they decided to do it and it wasn't like a any company went in and do it like an audit. Like there's no sort of auditing in fashion. And I think there really should be because really only seen like this being tested. You just wonder what's in your clothing in general. So I've, I've heard like, especially when it's like waterproof or any sort of like proof, that means there's just chemicals added to it and you just have no idea what it's doing to you. So I think the idea of just like creating an audit for fashion is so important um, and definitely to keep doing your research on things and expanding that past that as well, especially with your microplastic research. I think it could be combined into something really brilliant. So thank you so much yeah. for sharing everything else with today. Yeah. Is there, Professor saying, is there anything, that, any last thoughts you want to share with us before we roll out? I would like to say that um, I, um, really um i you know i i'm just being myself and i didn't know that people actually can <laughs> take, take my advice <laughs> i didn't know that people can actually take away things from my life that they, <laughs> they find useful and so but i i i'd like to say that like um um also like finding someone you can uh, trust to be your ally is also mm. very important in science like you might many times during my um my uh, journey to get my phd many times i wonder what am i doing why is this piece of information that i spent years on going to do to do for do anyone any good <laughs> i got jaded and I, and then i decided to you know like you know uh, uh seek out resources um and and that's how i came to this point but i i think that somebody who speaks on be your behalf and who listens to you and who kind of like it doesn't have to be your advice it could be someone who understands um you know the importance of where where you are where what you're going through is very important so um hopefully everybody hopefully sometime in the near future we could all be <laughs> be um okay with who we are and okay about what we're doing where we're gonna go and um and hopefully everyone would be uh comfortable in this space <laughs> Yeah, absolutely love that. And yeah, the ally support system is a game changer. And I think, Professor saying with you being yourself, that is the magic and that is the thing that does the impact. So thank you for being yourself. I wanna encourage you to continue that because it, uh, it does make an impact. Um, so with that, we wanna wrap up this podcast. We wanna thank you so much for listening. Um, tell us anything that you loved about this podcast, anything that Professor uh, saying sh shared with us today. What did you learn? What did you take away? 
um, feel free to leave us a review or share any comments or send us an email. We love to hear from you. So with that, thank you guys. And we want to see, we'll see you next time for our next podcast at Styled by Science CEOs. <laughs> <laughs>